Grab your Bibles, turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 8, verse 31. Romans 8, verse 31. If you would like, you can also put a marker in James chapter 4. We'll go there in just a few moments. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. This is one of the most powerful scriptures that we'll find. You can read the Bible cover to cover, and this one is bad to the bone. Y'all okay out there today? All right. If you're there, say amen. amen. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is on our side, who can be against us? If God is fighting for you, who can be against you? If God is warring for you, who can be against you? What do we say to these things? Why? How do we know this? We know this because, because God sent his only son, Jesus, to die on a cross for us. And if he would do that, if he had a, a, enough love for us and enough power to resurrect his son from the grave, and even death couldn't hold him, uh, then we know that who can come against us? This is a powerful scripture. One of many is you read from cover to cover in this book uh, and, uh, that, that we call the Bible. If you read from Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11, he said, For I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future, powerful promise in your life. He said in Mark, uh, Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Promises from the Word of God. Isaiah 40 and 29, he gives power to the weak. And, sh and, and to all those who have no might, he increases strength. Then you find in Philippians 4.19, we all, uh, many of us know and quote Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But what about 4.19 where he said, and my God shall supply all your need according to your, his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Promises held within the power of these words. Promises from the, the God who created the heavens and the earth that he wants to release into our lives. How are you glad that he gave us a book of promises? Are, are, are you glad that he, he sent these words and he spoke these words and that through Jesus Christ they applied to every one of us? I'm really glad about that. And this is one of the greatest ones, if God be for me, who can be against me? It means that no matter who is on the other side, whoever is on the side of God is going to win. He is the biggest, he is the baddest, he is the greatest, he is the most powerful. He, he's the one that created the heavens and the earth. And so whichever side God is on, he's going to win. When I was in high school, we had uh, a guy come through and he's called the one-man volleyball team. His name is Bob Holmes. Some of you may have seen or heard of him. One-man volleyball team. And he's one of these inspirational, motivational speakers that would come through and try to convince kids, you know, not to, you know, ruin their brains on acid or, you know, smoke too many shrooms where I was born in the country. So, it was, uh, you know, couldn't get your hands on weed. You had to, do, you had to go out in the cow pasture and find shrooms. Some of you are like, what are you talking about? Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's the way we did it. Um, not me. Not me. Hang on a second. Hang on. Whoa. <laughs> Almost happened one time by accident. Kid made some brownies for a school field trip. <laughs> they had a little extra 
chocolate in them. One of the teachers ate some. That was quite a ride. So anyway, <clears throat> y'all got me all distracted, see there? Um, but we had this guy, Bob Holmes, coming. He's called the one-man volleyball team. The first thing he does is he, he gets out there on the volleyball court, and he challenges the school varsity girls volleyball team to a game of volleyball. Well, they go out there like they're going to beat this guy. He destroys them. They scored like two points the whole game. So then he challenges like the football team and all these big football players go out there and they're like, oh man, you know, we're athletes. You beat the girls. You can't beat us. Destroys them. So then he keeps going through all these groups of people and he's beating them. Then he puts like a hundred people on the opposite side of the court. And he tells them, you can hit the ball up in the air as many times as you want to. You know, in, the, in volleyball, there's a rule you got to on the third hit, it's got to go back over. He says, you can hit it as many times as you want. I don't even care. Destroys them. Beat them all. Go look it up on YouTube. You'll see him. Bob Holmes, the one-man volleyball team. You'll see, you'll, you'll see him. There's like 100 people on the court, and he is literally destroying them. I mean, just wiping the floor. He beat the Minnesota Vikings football team, man. This dude's bad. No matter who you put on the other side of the net, they're going to lose. And no matter who's on Bob's side, you, you could put a two-year-old over there with him. The two-year-old's going to win because they're on the right side. And that's the way it is with God. It doesn't matter who's on the other side of the net. It doesn't matter if there are a hundred people lined up to beat you down. If you've got God on your side, you'll be okay. It doesn't matter if there are super ninja demons on the other side. Uh, if you get God on your side, if, if, you, if God is for you, none of them can be against you. It doesn't matter if your enemies are swarming all around you, if it looks like you're at the end of your rope. At the, the, the principle is this. This is what the scripture says to us. If God is for me, who can be against me? It doesn't matter who's on the other side of the net. There is no need to fear, for God is with me. Jacob said in Genesis chapter 4, that he, he had lost his son Joseph. They said they, they took him and they, he died and all these terrible things. And they were trying to replace him with another son. And he didn't like that. And he said, all these things are against me. But what he didn't realize was that God was actually working for him and was aligning thing, things for him so that years later, when his family was in facing extinction because of a severe famine in the land, God had positioned Joseph, the son he thought he lost. When, when they thought that he was going to lose the game and lose the battle, he was really positioning Joseph to be a savior to the family. Jacob is Israel. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Think about this. If God hadn't been for Israel in that moment, there may not be an Israel. If God is for us, who can be against us? But here's the problem. What if we're not on God's side? If God is for us, who can be against us? If I'm on God's side, no matter who's on the other side, they're not going to win. They're going to lose. What if I'm on the other side? If God is against me, who can be for me? I mean, listen, if, if God is against me, I can line up every family member, every prayer warrior, every lawyer, every attorney, every doctor, and it won't matter because God is against me. The same principle applies if God is for us, who is against us. But if God is against us, how am I going to compete with a God who created the heavens and the earth? How am I going to compete with a God who knows it all? How am I going to compete with, a, compete with a God who formed me in my mother's womb, who knows everything about me? He knows what I'm thinking 
before I do. I don't even understand what I'm thinking about. And he's got it all figured out and got a plan to beat me. That's not even fair. I mean, that's just cheating, God. We want God to cheat a little bit when he's on our side. But when he's against us, oh, no, Lord, you've got to be fair. You've got to fight fair, right? If God is against us, who could be for us? You see, we blame a lot of stuff on the devil. We blame a lot of stuff on our spouse, on our kids, on our parents, on our environment, on the governor or the mayor or the president or the economy. We blame all types of things in the world. But what if it is not the devil or any of those things? What if we have a God problem? What if we're giving all the credit to other people for, for the problems we're having in our life? What if we're blaming the devil and rebuking the devil and tell him to get, get, out, get behind me, Satan? We're quoting every scripture we can think of, and we're, we're doing it all right, and it is not even the devil. What if it is a God problem? Now we have an issue because God is against us, and we're not sure how we got there, but we look up, and we're on the wrong side of the net. How did we get here, and how do we get back? Could it possibly be that there are situations in your life that have nothing to do with the devil and everything to do with God? But pastor, God only brings good things. Really? Have you read lately? Have you really read this book? Because he wants to be for you. His desire is to be for you. He wants to be for you. He wants to win every battle for you. We make the decision to change sides. So I want to begin a series today entitled The God Problem. If God be against us. Three things. I'm going to give you three things that will get you on the wrong side of the net. Three things that will turn God against you and create a wall between you and God where you literally become enemies. James chapter 4, verse 4. Adulterers and adulteresses... Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Notice a couple of words here. Enemy and enmity with God and friendship with the world. The world here means the world's systems, the world's values, the world's attitudes, the world's desires, the world's passions, the world's way of doing life, the, world, the way the world thinks, the way the world acts, the way the world talks, the way the world dresses, uh, the things that the world does. It, it means to value temporal things or earthly things, things that won't last versus valuing eternal things. The things of God are eternal. The things of God will last here and into eternity, but the things of this world will one day pass away. And so when we take on the patterns of this world, as Paul said, and we conform to those things, and we take on the way that the world does it, and our values line up with the values of the world, not the values of the Word of God, now we have become friends with the world. It is so very easy to slip into the patterns of the world. You don't even realize it. This is a letter written to the church. This is a letter written to believers. We know that, and for many reasons. One is because he says adulterers and adulteresses. Um, the, the original letter that James wrote only said adulteresses, but somewhere along the way, a scribe that was translating and copying here, he didn't fully understand uh, what was being interpret, interpreted, so he added adulterers to make sure that, men we weren't left out of this deal. 
But, but what, what James is referring to here is he is painting a picture of the body of Christ or, or the church as the bride of Christ. So, so he's got a marriage here. So adultery happens in a marriage, right? Think about what you know about adultery. So he's got God and, and, or, or Jesus and the church. We are the bride of Christ. So he's speaking to the bride and saying adulteresses. Meaning you have turned away. You were in covenant. You were in relationship. You were working together. You were walking together. You made vows. You made a covenant. You did all of these things, but you turned away. And you went to find another man. And you went and you did things you shouldn't have done. And you became a friend of the world. And when you become a friend of the world... It is enmity with God, or you make yourself an enemy of God. This, this, these two words, enmity and enemy, are basically the same Greek word in a little different form. Uh, it is a military term, a war term, and it literally means that two nations or enemies are in a military conflict. It means that we become at war with God. He's not, he's not speaking metaphorically right here. He is being very literal. When we become friends with the world, we are now at war with God. Because the God of this world is at war with our God. The God of this world is the enemy. His name is Satan. His name is Lucifer, the devil, whatever you like to call him. He is the God of this world. And so he is at war with our God. And so when we become friends with the world, we're changing sides. And now we have set ourselves up militarily against God. Now we're on the wrong side of the net. We switched sides in the middle of the game. We were on the right side. We were doing everything right. But somewhere along the way, we just slipped under the net and we were playing for the wrong team and didn't even realize it. This is the ultimate violation to God. We were with him, but we turned against him. He, he counts this as an act of war. Because for Jesus, he said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, mammon represents most specifically uh, money or the spirit of money, but it also represented uh, worldliness. In the, in, the, in the age that Jesus was speaking to, it represented worldliness because the love of money and the love of the world were connected together. So when he says you cannot serve God and mammon, he's also saying you cannot serve God and the world. You have to choose one. You don't get to have two gods. You only have one God. And you decide who it is. The problem is you serve one, you love one, and you hate the other. Here is the problem. This is why we become the enemy of God. Because when, when the world becomes our God, when, the, when we become friends with the world, we now love the world and hate God. There's no middle ground here. There's no like, well, I can love mammon, I can love the world and just kind of be okay with God. No, you love the one and despise the other, hate the other. You, you don't get it both ways. And so God says, fine, when you go to the other side, you put yourself. Go, go back to uh, James chapter 4, verse 4. Notice he says, uh, whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Who did it to us? We did. 
We did it to ourselves. No, nobody, nobody forced us to go over there. God didn't tell us, you need to go over to the other side of the net because I want to be your enemy today. He, he didn't wake up this morning and decided he hates you and wants to be against you. No, no, no. We make the decision to leave God's side and get to the other side. And now we are in a position where we can't serve two gods, so we love the world, and we hate God, and we're an enemy. First way to get on the wrong side of the battle is friendship with the world. Does it mean that we don't have contact with the world? Absolutely not. Look at the life of Jesus. Everywhere Jesus went, he went to sinners. He went, he went out and he pulled them out of the mess that they were in and brought them back. But Jesus never became a friend of the world. So there is a point to which we are reaching the world, but not becoming the world. Number two. James chapter 4, verse 6. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is two verses down. Same principle that he's talking about here. This word uh, resist here is another military term. It literally means that where a warring general would not just um, fly by the seat of his pants, per se, and lead a battle. But literally, a warring general would lay out an entire battle plan, an entire strategy with his other captains and lieutenants and generals and whoever it may be, and they worked out this entire strategy to go to war against the enemy. So when they said resist, it was a whole, uh, a, a huge war of resistance. So, so here is what uh, James says to us, that God literally makes a plan to war against the proud. Second thing that will get you on the wrong side of God is pride. Here's something for you to think about. The first sin ever committed in the history of the universe, pride. We see it right here in Isaiah. Chapter 14, verse 13. He's speaking about Lucifer here or the enemy. He says, for you have said it in your heart. I will ascend into the heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds and I will be like the most high. This is pride at its core. Uh, pride at its core struggles to remember who is the creator and who is the created. And this is what happened to Satan. He thought, okay, I can be like God. I can ascend myself up to be the, the God and be just like him. I want to sit on the mountain he sits on. And I want to lead the way he leads. And I want to be God. This is the essence of pride. It was the first sin that ever happened. Here, here's a challenging thought for you. If Satan had never done this, if he had stayed in alignment like he was supposed to, if he had kept humility, uh, and, and you know it's often been said he was the worship leader of heaven, if he had kept on leading worship like he was supposed to, and he had kept his eyes on God and remembered that God is the creator and he was the created, if he had kept doing that and never been cast out of heaven and never uh, been cast down to this earth, when Adam and Eve got here, he wouldn't have been here to tempt them in the garden. Pride introduced brokenness and separation to this earth. Think about that. Pride was the root of all sin. It's the same sin that he, he, he tried to tempt Adam or, and did tempt Adam and Eve with. 
said, you'll know right from wrong, meaning you can be like God. It was the same thing he fell, he was trying to convince them to do. Pride is at the root of all sins because we forget who the creator is and we try to be like the creator ourselves. We try to be our own God. Pride sets us at war against God. This is a challenging thought. This, this, this is a, a, a challenging deal. How do, we, how, do we, how do we get to a place where pride is such a big deal? But it is with God. It was literally a major issue with God. Because God has been at war with the enemy since that day. Since the day I read to you from Isaiah 14, God and the devil have been at war over this issue of pride. And so when pride dwells up in our life, when it comes up in our life, we're just jumping right into the battle. The problem is we're getting on the wrong side. Pride is easy to see in others, but it is difficult to see in ourselves. The very nature of pride is to focus on what is right with us and what is wrong with others. Consequently, consequently it's the sin that breaks up more marriages, uh, destroys more families, ruins more ministries, and breaks more friendships than any other sin. Pride alienates husbands from wives, parents from children, and brothers from sister. The very nature of pride moves us to exalt ourselves above another. If you hear yourself insisting on having it your way, uh, knowing that you're right all the time, ask yourself, is this pride dwelling up in me? And most of the time, if not all the time, it ends up putting distance between you and the people that you love. Pride in our hearts forces God to resist us just as he has the devil. Don't allow God to draw up battle plans against you. Uh, get rid of pride. And instead, the solution is very simple. The good thing about James is, is he didn't leave us hanging. God gives grace to the humble. The antidote for pride is humility. It's the whole deal. God goes to war, not because he hates you. He goes to war because he needs to humble you down in order to give you grace and bring you back closer to him. He's got to remind us that we're the creator to get us back in relationship with him. You see, if you are God, you don't need a God. If you, if you are the God, if you have all the answers, you don't need the one who has all the answers because you already have all the answers. Are you with me? And so his, his plan is not, it's not because he hates you. It's because he actually loves you. He's trying to get you back. So he said, okay, what, what do I got to do to bring humility in your life so that I can then extend grace to you and bring you back in relationship with me? Father, don't let pride in my life separate me from you. Don't allow pride to get me on the wrong side of the net that God is literally warring against me. The first is friendship with the world. The second is pride. The third one we find in Deuteronomy chapter 15 excuse me, chapter 28, verse 15. Um, but it shall come to pass if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Now, we love, I love, maybe it's just me, but I love to read the first part of this chapter, uh, verse 1 through 14, because it talks about if I obey the voice of the Lord, how all of these blessings will come upon me and overtake me. I love this part where it says, come upon me and overtake me, because it's a picture now of literally you are running your race, and blessings come up behind you. They catch you, and they just overwhelm you and grab you and wrap you up, right? They overtake you. You can try to run, but God's blessings are so good, they're going to catch you wherever you go. Here's the problem. 
If we disobey, his curses do the same thing. I can try to outsmart him. I can try to outrun him. I can try to outfox him. I can try to slip away. I can try to hide. But when, when curses are released on my life, they will catch me and overtake me. I can't get away from them. What is it that puts us at odds with God? It is simply this disobedience. Watch what he says in verse 20. Just, just because lots of times we think curses come from the devil. Not necessarily. Watch this. This is just a few verses down. The Lord will send on you. Who's going to send it? Not the devil, not, you, not, not the guy, the neighbor down the street who doesn't like you. No, no, no. The Lord will send on you cursing and confusion and rebuke you and all that you set your hand to do. Whatever you're trying to do, he, he's, gonna, he's going to bring confusion and rebuke and cursing. Why? He's trying to get your attention. Trying to get our attention. He's, he's trying to say, turn back to me, please. I'm begging of you, turn back to me. That's what disobedience does in our life. Sets us up against God where he has to release these things. He doesn't want to, but here's the crazy thing about God, good and bad. God is totally bound by his word. He cannot do anything apart from his word. Once it's spoken, it's done. He has to do it. So if God says he's going to release blessings on you if you do certain things, he has to release them. If you do those things, he has to do it. But if you do other things... And he said, disobedience. He says, if, if, you, if, if you disobey, I'm going to have to release curses. He doesn't have a choice. He has to release them. Not that he wants to. He's trying not to. He's holding them back saying, please, give them just another moment. They're going to get it right. They're going to get it. They're not going to get it right. And curses are released. He doesn't want to. But this is what we do. Notice what he said. Because of the wickedness of my my wife's doings <laughs> she she left out i said i could do that if you're wondering where she went my son had surgery this week you probably saw the big thing on his ear uh, he's doing well uh but he's kind of loud in here for him his ears are real sensitive so um she's taking him home he wasn't feeling good um but uh here's the here's the point uh because of the wickedness of my doings he had to forsake now I'm at odds with God. Disobedience. One of the most fascinating stories that I find in the Bible is the story of Jonah. Uh, Jonah and the whale. The New King James Version translates it actually as a big fish. We'll call it a whale if you'd like for the purpose of the sermon today. Wonderful story that I absolutely love. find it fascinating. Uh, basically, Jonah gets in trouble with God. He ends up in the belly of a whale. I often think to myself, what was it like inside the belly of that whale for three days? When I was a kid, you remember on Pinocchio, when he ended up in the belly of the whale, and he was like floating around in a boat, and he's like catching fish and all that? I don't think it was like that for Jonah. But I wonder what it was like in the belly of the whale for three days. I wonder what he smelled like when he got out. You hungry? Okay. Jonah. If you're looking for Jonah, he's in the Minor Prophets. The book of Jonah... Uh, now the word of the Lord, verse 1, uh, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, so here's his directions. Jonah is a prophet of God. He is a serious prophet. I called him a minor prophet only because his book is small. That doesn't mean he was minor. He was a powerful prophet of God. And so here's his directions. God comes to him and says, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah doesn't want to go. Here's his instructions. Go to Nineveh. 
Preach, please. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. God says, go to Nineveh. He literally turns the opposite direction. If you look at the map, he went the other direction, and he got on a boat to go away. He is fleeing and running from the presence of God. He is disobeying what God has told him to do. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea. Who sent the great wind? Are you sure? Okay. The Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship was about to be broken up. The sailors are tripping out. The ship's about to be broken. What's going on? They cast lots. They realize the problem is Jonah. They come to Jonah, verse 8. They say to him, please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? So he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid. They were already scared. Now they're exceedingly afraid. And they said to him, why have you done this? For the men knew that he had fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more, I can't say this word, tempestuous. Is that right? I messed it all up in the first service. Added a couple of R's and a Z, I think, somewhere in there. Um, They come to him and they say, say, Jonah, uh, the lot fell to you. You're the problem Who are you? Where are you from? What did you do? Why are you doing this to us? Jonah says, I'm a Hebrew. And they already knew that he was fleeing from, they were running from God. He'd already told them that. So he says, I'm a Hebrew. Well, this clicks with them. The Hebrews were famous in this part of the world. People knew about the Hebrew God. They knew, they had heard the stories about Abraham. They had heard the stories about Moses. They had heard the stories about how the people came out of Egypt under Pharaoh. They heard the stories about the Red Sea. They had heard the stories about the Battle of Jericho and how these Israelites swept through and conquered the whole land. They had heard about David and Elijah and all. They knew this God of, uh, of the Hebrews. They knew it. And he said, they said, Have you lost your mind? After all that God has done for you and your people, after everything he's brought you through, after everything that he's led you through, after he's done miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle, and you're running from that God? Jonah, let me remind you that your people came into uh, the promised land, and uh, the first city they came to was Jericho. All they did was march around the city seven times and the walls fell down flat. And every person in Jericho was dead. They all died. Like, Jonah, why would you run from this God? Furthermore, just a thought for you. Why would you brag about it? He told them all, I'm running from the Lord. I'm running. What do you, you know, he's buying his ticket. Where are you headed to? You going on a little vacation? Nope, I'm running from God. (laughs) And so now they're in the middle of the storm of their lives because this guy is running from God and he's been bragging about it. Let me tell you something. If you are disobeying God, you are not welcome in my boat. 
you're not welcome. There's another ship down the road there. You can, that, that guy right down there, he'll take you. He likes chaos. I don't. So go jump in his boat, and y'all can go for a ride. Man, I don't like roller coasters. I don't like the feeling of my stomach being in my throat. It does not feel well. I know that everyone is screaming and having a great time. I do not like it. Guys showed me a YouTube video this week uh, of a guy and a girl on one of these uh, slingshot roller coaster deals. And the guy is, I mean, he is tripping out. He's screaming, and the girl is just like, woo, you know. And the guy is like, you know, why did you do this to me, God? And, and then he passes out. Boom. <laughs> Kid you not. So he wakes back up, and he comes to, and he's like, yeah, this is awesome. Boom. Passes out again. He gets almost back to the ground, passes out a third time. Boom. Wakes up. They're on the ground, and he goes, let's do it again. Yes. <laughs> you got to see it. It is funny. Um, I don't enjoy that in my life. I don't enjoy storms, okay? I like storms when I'm in my own bed with my TV going, and, and it helps me sleep really well. I don't like being out in the middle of a storm in the middle of the ocean, do you? So if you're bringing your storm into my life because you're disobeying and running from God, you are not welcome near me. As a matter of fact, you go get in his boat, and either you go or I'll go. But I don't even want to be on the lake at the same time as you. I, don't, I got enough issues in my life. I don't need you to bring your storms, your problems. I don't need to just by happenstance be on the wrong side of the net. Not because I'm on the wrong side of the net, because you turned the net around by coming over here by me, and now God is against me just because I'm by you. And I don't want to be against God. I want God to be for me, not against me. So you go away. I need him going over there by God. No, quit following me. Don't, don't get close to me. Get, let go of my belt loop. No, get away from me because you're in the middle of a storm that you caused, that God sent to get your attention because of your disobedience, and I don't want anything to do with it. I will help you from this side of the net. Read the Bible. <laughs> Pray. <laughs> do what it says. <laughs> no, no, don't, don't try to cross under the net. No, 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 you stay over there. I'm here, I'm good, me and Jesus, we're tight, you stay over there. When you get it right, there's plenty of room on our side. But don't bring your disobedience by me. He brought it to him. So the men now... <laughs> They're fearing the Lord, and uh, they're, they're, they're not happy with Jonah. They say, Jonah, what do we do? You cause this. Tell us what to do to stop. And he goes, good, throw me overboard. I said, uh, I don't know, man. This God of yours is pretty upset. What, what if he kills us for doing what you say when we're just trying to, we don't even know. We were just going on vacation, and now here we are. So here's what they do. Man, they start having church. They're like offering sacrifices to God. They're praising and word. They don't even know God. They're, they're getting to know him really fast. They're, I mean, they're like, you know, fast track to being disciples right here. And they're like, God, don't kill us for throwing Jonah, your chosen one, your prophet. We're going to throw him overboard like he said, but we just want you to know that we really, 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 really love you and we want to be on your side. Over he goes. Whew. The winds stop. The storms stop. Jonah swallowed up by a whale. Not because he didn't love God. Not because he didn't hear from God. Not because he wasn't a powerful prophet. He ended up in the belly of a whale because of the disobedience. Not any person in the kingdom of God, not any person in this room, from the pastors and the elders uh, to every saint in this room, none of us are exempt 
from obeying God. See, God doesn't expect us to be perfect. He doesn't expect us to get it right every single time. He, he doesn't expect us to never sin. He knows that we have sin in our heart. But here's what he does expect. He expects us to obey him. He expects us to do what he says. It's this, it's this amazing thing. You know it with your kids. How many have kids? Do you ever kids, do they ever forget who is the parent and who is the child? Kennedy and I are working through this right now. <laughs> Working on this one. It's, it's going well. <laughs> Everybody in our household is happy, happy, happy. So it's, <laughs> we're working through this one. Uh, and we'll get through it, I assure you. Uh, she will know who is the dad and who is the daughter before we are said and done. Because as the father, when I tell you it is time to do something, I really mean it's time to do something. I'm not talking metaphorically. I'm not talking about sometime in your future. I'm not talking about after you finish your game. I'm not talking about after you run around circles three times. When I say it's time to go to bed, I don't mean to go tell every person in the house everything that happened in your day that day and how wonderful life is. I don't, I don't really care if you're doing good things. I really mean go to bed now. You know, you, are you with me? You, you, you literally mean obey me because I, I'm in charge here. Do you pay the note on this house? Did you pay for those clothes on your back? The banana you just ate, who bought that? I, oh, I, me. Yes, do what I say. The same exact principle applies to God. Listen, I know my daughter's going to mess up. I know my son is going to mess up. I know they're going to have issues. I know we're going to have to work through them. I know they're going to get in trouble with school. I know they're going to get in fights. I know they're going to... They're kids. They do what kids do. I don't expect... I, if they were... If, if we go through a day with no issues, it's like heaven on earth. It's like the greatest surprise and celebration ever. I don't expect them to be perfect, but what I do expect is for them to obey me. And God is the same way with us. He knows that we have issues that we're working on and we're trying to do this. And we're trying to, God, I'm trying to grow and I'm trying to get better. And I'm, I'm, trying to, uh, I, I'm trying to walk according to your ways. I'm trying to walk according to the spirit and not according to the flesh. I'm trying to do all these things. Here's what he does expect. He ex expects obedience from every one of us. You don't have to be perfect. You do have to be obedient. See, if we're not obedient, it puts us at odds with God. And he has to release things in our lives that he does not want to release. Why do you spank your child or punish your child or whatever you do with them? Why do you take their phone away or their car away or their clothes away? One time Lindsay got in so much trouble when she was in high school, her mom took away every drop of clothing and shoes out of her, her closet except for her school uniform. She worked to the mall. She worked to church. She worked to school. She worked everywhere. Did she do it just because she wanted to be mean? Of course not. She did because she's trying, we do it because we're trying to get our child's attention. I need you to be obedient for your own good. Disobedience puts us at odds with God. Whose side are you on? If God is for us, nobody can be against us. Nobody. You can't, I can't, no one can. If God is for us, who can be against us? But it's not an issue of getting God on my side. It's an issue of me getting on God's side. There are only two sides to the issue. There's God's side 
and the devil's side. There's not God's side, the devil's side, and my side. No, 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 no. There's two sides. And we have to choose whose sides we're on. God isn't changing sides all the time. He's not. So we got to decide. Do I want to be on the Lord's side? Or do I want to be on the enemy's side? Do I want to be, do I want to have God for me? Or do I want to have God against me? Because if God is for me, who can be against me? But if God is against me, why am I even fighting? Because who can be for me? Three things today. If you look into your life, have I become friends with the world? Have I taken on the values and the priorities and the, the mindsets of the world? Do I think and look and act and talk like the world? Is there pride in my heart? Is there pride in my life? Have I exalted myself above the Creator? Not meaning to. Nobody wakes up to, and says, I'm going to be prideful today. No, it sneaks up on us. But it's a terrible sin. And thirdly, is there disobedience in my life? Is there disobedience? Is the storm that you're going through right now a storm that you're going through because you set yourself against God? Let's get on the right side today. I can tell you, having been on both sides, it is so much more fun being on the Lord's side. It is so much more fun knowing the outcome. You might be like Jacob, and you may not know how it's all going to work out, but we do know that it is going to work out. Because if God is for us, who can be against us? Would you stand with me today? Our pastors and elders are making themselves available at this time. There are some of these things in your life. They often happen. They often creep up on us. They sneak up on us. Most of us, literally, we don't wake up one day and just decide to be bad and decide to be disobedient and to say, today, I feel like being enemies with God. But we end up there. I want you to look in your life and ask this question. Are there storms in my life? Are there things that I'm struggling with? Are there frustrations in my life? Am I walking through them because I've been disobedient, because I've got pride, or because I've become friends with the world? I want to pray with you today. I'm going to say a prayer. These altars are going to be open. If you need prayer ministry of any kind, uh, if you need healing in your body, if you need a miracle in your life, I believe that God is here and wants to work for you. If God is for you, who can be against you? If you're watching at home, I want to encourage you. Get on the Lord's side. Whatever's going on in your life, get on the Lord's side. If you've been away, get on the Lord's side. If you've been in disobedience, Get back in obedience. Get back on the Lord's side. If, wherever you are, whatever's going on, get on the Lord's side. I believe he's going to come through for you. Father, I thank you for every person in this house, every believer, every person who's chosen to trust in you, Lord God, to, that we have this great promise that if you are for us, who can be against us? Lord, I pray that you would illuminate in our life any areas that have put us against you. That have, the, the pride that may have caused us to where you, you have to resist us, not because you want us, but because you have to. You have to release curses and stop the blessings. And you, We've become enemies, God. 
illuminate those areas of our life. Holy Spirit, show us the things that need to shift and to change, to mold and to get into alignment with you, Lord God. I pray that today would be a clean slate. Whatever happened, happened. But from here moving forward, God, we're going to walk in your ways. We're going to be on your side. I thank you for it right now in the name of Jesus. Amen.